It's time for the Smart Money Questions Podcast with Matt Hausman. This is the show that provides you with a sound financial education and helps you avoid financial pitfalls. Make sure you are asking the right questions by listening to the Smart Money Questions Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome again. Matt Hausman, and it is time for the Smart Money Questions podcast. Hope you're doing great. Today, I'm going to talk about a couple things I've talked in the past. And one of them, I know that if you've been a listener for quite a while, or if you've been a client, I harp on this all of the time. And I'm going to make sure to address that today. Also going to do a recap on the SECURE Act and actually what's in Congress right now. Actually already been passed by the House Ways and Means Committee. So now it's going to go to the floor and we'll talk about what that is. And then really had a interesting question that somebody sent me, uh, kind of a tough question that I want to make sure that we address today. So before we do that, let's make sure that we deal with the disclaimer. Please don't take any of the information or ideas or suggestions that I offer in today's show as direct advice for you. Please use it as information and education that you then can discuss with your advisor. Now, If you don't have an advisor or you would like for us to be your advisor, I'm more than happy to have that conversation with you. And it's real simple. All you have to do is go to www.speakwithmatt.com. That's www.speakwithmatt.com. And my online scheduler is right there. You can go right in. You can schedule a 15 or 30 minute phone conversation. And quite frankly, at the end of that first call, we're going to have a good idea. Does it make sense to have a second conversation. So again, very low key, go right into the online scheduler. You don't even have to get on the phone with anyone to schedule this. So again, speakwithmat.com, www.speakwithmat.com and schedule it there. So, all right, let's go ahead and get on to today's show. Okay. So one of the things that many of you have heard me talk about all of the time, and this most recently just happened very close to me, actually from my mom, And I'm always talking about beneficiaries on your financial accounts. I talk about your legal documents, all of those very important things that quite frankly, sometimes we don't want to talk about them or we're just leaving it up to chance or we think we've taken care of it and we're not necessarily going back and double checking. So I want to go over a couple stories specifically as it relates to your bank accounts. Because banks are notorious, at least in my experience and experience with clients, in not asking for beneficiary information. As a matter of fact, if you remember back in the day, ING, the uh, orange bouncing ball, Maggie and I had money there. And then through a routine check, we found out they don't even offer beneficiary forms on their joint accounts. It wasn't even an option, which is unbelievable. But recently in going over and doing some updatings with my, uh, with my mom, we found out a couple of things. One of them was the two accounts that she has. She has an account at Wells Fargo and at Bank of America. And the only thing that I can think is that somehow, some way, either in an address change or a routing number change, what have you, is that they removed the beneficiaries that my... This is both banks had removed us, my sister and I, as beneficiaries on the accounts. And, you know, my mom, there was a process that each one had to do differently to get those added on. Now, the reality was, is if I wasn't talking to this about my mom, and one of the things that we were talking about was the idea is, should 
my sister or I be added as an owner to the account, or is it okay just to be beneficiaries and have power of attorneys? And that's the only way that we found out about this. So one of the things that I want to make sure, and you know, actually just thought about another, I remember this probably about five or six years ago, and I was meeting with someone who, whose husband had recently passed away uh, very suddenly in a car accident, young, and uh, I was meeting with her and she had just received the life insurance check, which was very sizable, and had went to the bank with her son to deposit it into a new savings account. Now she's sitting there with her son. And the first thing when, when she, you know, they were telling me that they were just there, they had deposited it. And the first question I asked was, well, is your son an owner on the account, like a joint owner? And he was the only son, by the way, only child. Or, or have you at least listed him as a beneficiary? And she goes, I don't even remember them asking. They kind of looked at each other. Yeah, we don't remember them talking about that at all. I said, let's call them right now. And we did. And sure enough, they hadn't even offered to include the son as a beneficiary on the account. Now, she had just got done dealing or was dealing with a, very, with a tragic situation. A car accident had taken the life of her husband. And so all of a sudden, that becomes real. She's thinking that same thing could happen to me. What's going to happen to that money? They didn't even offer it. So hear me when I say this. Go check on this right now. Don't wait. That is, go to your bank accounts, either call them, log online, what have you, and make sure, especially if you are married and you have a joint account. I have another client just met with. Husband didn't pass away from an accident, but recently did pass away. I'm sitting there with her and her two sons, and I said, you, were they already listed as primary beneficiaries? Because if it's a joint account, it's okay for the heirs to be listed as primary because in this case, the account's going to move over to her as a sole owner, but we want to make sure that they are at least listed as beneficiaries on those accounts. And so please take action on this right now because you don't want to have your bank accounts left up to the state and have to go through probate. And keep in mind that in the event you pass away and you're like, well, I've got my legal documents in order. I've got my power of attorney. The power of attorney is null and void once you pass away. So the heirs can't get access to that checking and or savings account that you have. So it's extremely important. So the first step is let's make sure that we have updated benefit. And I'm Maggie and I were talking about this in the situation with my mom. It needs to be an annual thing on all of your accounts. Now, some of them, like for instance, some of the investment accounts that we have, I can log in, I can see right there that who's listed, but I can't see it on the bank accounts. So make it a priority to go through on all of your financial instruments, investments, annuities, insurance, life insurance, bank accounts, checking, savings, what have you, and make sure that your beneficiaries are always listed there. It's your responsibility, not the bank's responsibility. Clearly, they, they don't even think it's a priority because most of the time they're not even offering it to make sure that that is taken care of. Please make sure to take action. You know, those are those those last two examples with my mom and the and the other client that we were talking to just within the last couple of weeks. I mean, that's recent. So please take action on this. This is not something to think, "Oh, I'll take care of it later and then you forget about it." Please make sure all of your beneficiaries are the way you want them. 
and that they're up to date with the financial institutions on where your monies are or your other assets, for instance, like life insurance. Okay, so the next thing I want to address is I've had some conversations with clients that they were thinking it was time for minimum distributions. I just want to go back over a recap. The SECURE Act that went into effect in January of 2020. The biggest things that happened there are, first of all, is minimum distribution age was moved from 70 and a half to 72. The second big thing that happened was the stretch IRA was basically eliminated. And now if your heirs inherit a qualified retirement account, 401k, uh, IRA, what have you, this applies to Roth IRAs as well. Now there is a 10-year distribution requirement. They get to choose how much they want to take out every year over that 10-year period of time. But by the end of the 10th year, it's all going to be gone. Whatever's left could be subject to a 50% tax penalty on top of whatever tax would normally be due on that disbursement. The other thing that was significant is employers with 10 plus employees or more have an auto-enroll feature where usually you have to opt in. Now it's an auto-enrollment for the employee. The other thing would be, this is significant, is now 529 plans up to $10,000 can be taken out to pay for student debt. That's a big thing. The other thing was you can withdraw $5,000 per parent from a qualified retirement account penalty-free upon the birth or adoption of a child. Now, that is what is currently the law. I mentioned earlier, the SECURE Act 2.0 has recently passed the House Ways and Means Committee, and a couple things that are going on there, uh, or some, I guess, some enhancements to this, they're actually looking to increase over the course of time the minimum distribution age from 72 to 75. They're also looking to give, if you're 62 years old, currently after 50, you get what's called a catch-up contribution into your retirement accounts. Now, they're going to increase that once you get to 62 up to age 64. So we'll see what's going to happen. Of course, now it's got to go to Congress. Who, you know, who knows what it's going to look like on the back end. But I will say that as of right now, within the House Ways and Means, uh, Means Committee, this has been bipartisan, very much so just like the SECURE Act was a bipartisan effort back at the end of 2019. As those updates come up, we'll make sure to get that out to you. But the biggest thing, again, is the recap. Is I I think there's sometimes is there's still some confusion as to when the minimum distribution age is. The other thing that's very significant about the stretch IRA being gone is it doesn't change how an inherited IRA transfers from one owner to the other. It's very specific. The account has to be listed as an inherited IRA. You do not want to commingle monies, meaning you don't want to take money from an inherited IRA and add it to your 401k, or let's say you have a traditional IRA. If you do that, there is no do-over. It is all taxable right then and there. So it's very important that um, if you are going to be inheriting money, that you understand the type of money you are inheriting. And if it, if it is a qualified retirement account type plan, whether it's 401k, 403b, 457, IRA, Roth IRA, Roth 401k, what have you, is there's a specific process you want to make sure that you go through so you, you're not creating an undue tax bill that you cannot correct. 
Okay. If you have any questions with that, reach out to us either at schedule a time to talk, speak with Matt.com, or give us a call in the office, 610-719-3003. Be more than happy to help you with that. But really important that you understand how that's going to work in the event you're going to inherit those funds. The last is a question that came to us that is, I, you know, a lot of times I'm going to use this question. It's, it, it's a loaded question, by the way. It's a tough question. But also in the comparisons of 401ks and pension plans, the question comes to us from uh, Deb in New Jersey. It says, I'm in the middle of a divorce after 30 years of marriage. Do you think I'd be better off to get half of my husband's 401k or half of his pension? I like the idea of having guaranteed income, but I won't be retiring for 10 years. So it's not like I need the pension right now. Well, first of all, Deb, sorry to hear about going through the divorce. But this is a question a lot of times people will give in the event they're being given a pension lump sum. In other words, the the company they work for uh, or they used to work for, now instead of getting a monthly payment, they're giving them the option to take a bulk, you know, take some money as a pension lump sum in lieu of whatever that monthly income was going to be. And so there's a couple things that, Deb, I would tell you to consider when you're looking at, do I take the half the 401k or the pension? First of all is how much is the 401k balance versus what is the pension monthly amount going to be? That's one of the things that we look at, and it's real simple. What you're wanting to see is how many years in advance are they looking to give you? In this case, if you're going to get half the pension versus half the 401k, if I took half the 401k and that's the equivalent of 15 years of pension payments, you're creating an asset right now that, you know, it's kind of like time value of money. Now I've got all of that in my possession right now versus having to wait for the 15 years of those monthly pension payments. Now there's a couple of things. And actually another thing with regards to the 401k versus the pension is if you're 10 years from retirement, when would the pension actually start? If the pension isn't going to start for 10 years and half the 401k balance right now is 15 years in advance of pension, now you're talking about 25 years, you would have to wait to get all of the pension payments that would be equal to 401k balance today. So those are some key questions that you want to make sure that you get answers to. Now let's talk about the pitfalls of actually taking the 401k versus the pension. First of all, now you're accepting responsibility on how you're going to invest that money and the income that it's going to create for you, whether you start taking it now, even though you're 10 years from retirement or later. The other thing that can be a positive in the 401k is you get to control not only the investment, but how you distribute it to you, which can be significant in possibly mitigating the taxes that are going to be due on that withdrawal versus once the pension starts, whether you need the money or not, it's coming and it's going to be taxable. You know, so the 401k potentially can give you some options, but we also have to look at, we're now accepting the responsibility of how we're going to invest it and how we're going to distribute it versus if I'm leaving it at the pension company, well, it's their responsibility to just make sure that they pay me my money every month. Okay. The other thing to consider about the pension payment versus taking the 401k is in taking the 401k or half the balance, you're creating an asset immediately. If you took the pension and God forbid you died prematurely, I'm going to preface this, I'm assuming that that pension payment is going to stop. 
So the other thing is now, if there's money left in the 401k that I took, that's going to go to my heirs. And the last thing I would tell you to consider after getting these questions answered would be, when the divorce is final, is what's going to be your overall financial picture? The different assets that you have, how you're dividing the assets as you go through the divorce process to come to that ending settlement, what's going to be your overall financial health? And could it be that to increase that financial health, it does make sense to go ahead and take the 401k, half the 401k balance. So those are the things that I would be telling you to get answers to and clarity to then come to a good decision on, does it make sense to take the 401k or the pension? And part of what, one of the things that you said in there is, I like the idea of having a guaranteed income. You want to recognize if, you know, that's a, that's an emotional and personal decision that when you get the other answers to those questions that I mentioned, you want to weigh that as well. Because I don't, you know, you don't want to take lightly the idea of taking on the responsibility of investing. I would recommend that you speak with a professional about this. More than likely, if you're going through the divorce, you're dealing with a divorce attorney. If you have qualified funds like this, you're probably also your uh, attorney has brought in a CPA for when they're doing those quadro calculations. And I would have them, if you don't already have one, I would speak with another financial professional and have them go through the process on if you're liking that guaranteed income, but you're also really leaning towards half of the 401k, how can I invest that money to create a steady stream of income if and when you decide to retire? You can always, of course, reach out to us, speakwithmatt.com. Again, www.speakwithmatt.com. I'd be more than happy to talk with you about that. But um, you know, a lot of other questions that I would tell you to get answered to help make a very uh, educated decision for you. So listen, everyone, that's all I've got today. It is, um, hopefully it's been valuable. If you have any questions specifically about looking at your accounts for beneficiaries, the SECURE Act, or you know, the 401k versus pension, you know, lump sum payout, what have you, reach out to us, 610-719-3003. That's our direct line. Or simply go to our online calendar. You can schedule a time to talk. Speakwithmatt.com, either on the phone, virtually uh, via Zoom, or in person. So again, speakwithmatt.com. Listen, everyone, take care, and we will talk soon. <music> 